co-host Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Uh, I'm going to start off with our first guest, who is uh, Congressman Hank Johnson, uh, who is uh, represents uh, most of DeKalb County and in, uh, in, in, uh, right outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, he's on uh, the House Judiciary Committee, and I, he roasted a couple of people on several occasions. And he's a stalwart for in terms of our civil rights, our human rights. And Congressman Johnson, welcome to Urban Forum once again. And uh, you got to be have a little joy in your heart because there's going to be a transfer of power eventually uh, from the president, uh, 45 to 46, to the real President Joe Biden. So I'd like to have you comment on your feelings on that. And then we got to talk about the hot spot, which is Georgia and the two Senate races up there. Oh, boy, it was a, a tremendous relief, uh, you know, for the nation. I mean, you know, just millions of people, hundreds of millions of people, literally, out of the 310 million in this country were rooting for the right thing to happen. And that was for Donald Trump to be replaced because he has really taken our country down in in ways that were unimaginable uh, before he took office. And we knew it was going to be bad uh, as he took office, uh, but he he took it down to depths lower than we thought uh, would happen. And uh, so just a giant collective sigh of relief uh, to see those votes coming in for Joe Biden. Uh, the nation uh, really needs to be restructured and uh and uh because joe biden has i mean uh donald trump has done his best to destroy it and uh, uh we have a man joe biden who has spent his life uh in government he knows how government works knows how important it is for the governance of the affairs of our nation uh, through a vibrant federal government and so he's in place to restore and enhance and to build it back better. And that's what we're looking for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to do. And I guess I'm still appalled at the fact, do you foresee uh, any relief coming to the people that thousands of people in food bank lines, uh, uh, the subsistence uh, was cut off. Uh, Lindsey Graham was saying $600 a week was too much for people. Uh, I was just wondering, uh, your comments and, and any uh, information you might have on the restoration of, I guess, was it called the HEROES Act? Yeah. Well, the, the worst thing that Donald Trump has done to this nation has caused the unnecessary demise of at least 150,000 people who did not have to die. And, it, and they died because this Trump administration was pursuing a, uh, strategy of herd immunity when it came, when it comes to the COVID-19 pandemic. First thing he did was, uh, he denied the, uh, the danger of this pandemic. And then the next thing he did was just to try to ignore it. And to and to minimize it and to act that it was a hoax. That was what he. That's what he actually said that it was a hoax. It would go away, and um, 
And as a result of him putting his head in the sand and his administration following right behind him, uh, no action was taken to to stem the flow of this pandemic. And so it has been allowed to mushroom out of control and to rage throughout uh, America. And the result is sickness and death uh, to the American people, disproportionately to black and brown people in this country. And so that's the worst thing that he has done. And when he caught, when he ignored the pandemic, then uh, the result was the economy crashing and people losing their jobs and losing their businesses and losing their livelihoods. And fortunately, Democrats in Congress stepped up. The Senate went along with it. We passed the CARES Act. In fact, we passed about four uh, coronavirus response bills, and uh, the CARE, uh, CARES Act was one of them. And CARES, CARES Act put money in people's pockets and sustained them uh, while they were receiving the extra $600 in unemployment benefits every week. And so families were able to be salvaged and saved, and uh, small businesses were afforded relief uh, and through the Paycheck Protection Program. And even some of the large businesses got in on, on the deal when they were not uh, meant to uh, have a part of that Paycheck Protection Program, but the Trump administration abused it. And so some of these companies had to pay their money back. Uh, but it was a great program. It helped businesses, large and small, to remain in business and to remain as employers with their employees on the payroll so that they would not go on to the unemployment rolls. So it was just a great uh, program, but everything comes to an end, and that's why uh, we, uh, Congress, under the, that's why Democrats in the House passed the HEROES Act back in May, May 15th. And um, that has been six months ago. And uh, since then, uh, the Senate, uh, under Mitch McConnell's leadership, has refused and failed to act on that bill. That would have extended the uh, Paycheck Protection Program. It would have extended the uh, unemployment benefits that people needed. Uh, it would have uh, given another cash payment uh, and put money into the pockets of people who uh, needed that money. But because we have not passed that HEROES Act and nothing else has been, been done since we passed the CARES Act, it means all of that money is coming to an end. All of those benefits and programs are coming to an end. And the result is what you just spoke of. The food lines are increasing. Uh, the food banks are running out of food. More people are food insecure. And at the same time, the eviction moratoriums are coming to an end. And we'll see people, we'll see evictions go through the roof in this country. And we're already experiencing uh, businesses, you know, 250,000 uh, at least have gone out of business forever. 
many of them uh, small mom and pop operations, and many of them uh, owned by minorities. And so this is a devastating economic climate that uh, is approaching as we enter the holiday period and the harsh temperatures of winter. Uh, and to think that people will be thrown out and made homeless as the weather gets cold and that people are unable to feed themselves because of lack of food. And it's all because of the negligence and mismanagement of the Trump administration, which is on its way out in January 20th, can't get here quick enough. I want to let my listeners know that uh, you're listening to Congressman Hank Johnson out of Georgia, uh, who also uh, just uh, spoke on the dire need, uh, situation that we have in our country right now. But uh, Congressman Johnson also serves on several committees, and one important committee is the House Judiciary Committee. So, Congressman, I also want to, uh, before I bring my co-host Hayward Evans in, want to just ask about, uh, we know right now that uh, the control of the Senate rests in Georgia with the two Senate races there. What is your prognostications and what are you cooking people do to make sure that uh, it's returned to uh, the Senate is returned to Democrats? Well, you know, we need a uh, we need a huge turnout in Georgia. Uh, and uh, if we can turn out our voters, then we're going to win this election uh, on January 5th. And so our early voting starts on November the 14th. I'm, I'm happy to report that there has been a surge in absentee ballot requests, and uh, at, uh, it's around 800,000 uh, people have asked for absentee ballots. And so those folks intend to uh, get out here and vote. We need those folks to vote, and we also need um, – uh, all of the people who want to vote in person to get out here early, do it. Uh, don't wait until January 5th, but do it early. And we've got two weeks of early voting. Many of the counties will have weekend voting, and that's going to be a good thing. Uh, that's going to be helpful uh, to people. And so um, what the candidates are doing is, uh, you know, they are going around the state making sure that they are visible and meeting with the people, of course, socially distanced and uh, respectful of this uh, COVID-19 coronavirus, which sees no boundaries and cares nothing about, uh, you know, where you live or how much money you have. It's attacking everyone. So the candidates are, are being responsible when it comes to um, campaigning in a uh, COVID-19 environment, but they are out getting uh, getting close as close as they can to the people, uh, and of course, they need money so that they can be on the airwaves. And so, uh, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock could use every uh, every dollar that is out there from people. They're collecting a lot of small dollar donations. Those are not matching what Mitch McConnell and his machine are putting into uh, these races, their independent expenditures on top of what the candidates are raising, their candidates, their Republican candidates. So the spending in Georgia uh, by the Republicans dwarfs that which is being spent 
by the Democrats to get the word out to the voters. So I would encourage your listeners to um, go to the websites of the uh, of the candidates, Raphael Warnock and John also, and uh, find a way to make a contribution. And, and in that way, you can get involved in making sure that these candidates can get their word out and so that we can make sure that there are boots on the ground out here uh, to get voters out to the polls. We have a lot of young voters and voters who are not, uh, who are first-time voters. They voted for the first time in November, and so the euphoria of the victory for Joe Biden is going to wear off. The question is whether or not they're going to come back on January 5th, and we need those who came out on November 3rd to come back out, and not just those who voted, but those who did not vote. We need their votes also. So uh, we need a huge turnout, and if we do it, we have a great shot at winning both of these seats. But it's going to take uh, all of us, regardless of where you live, to, to help make it happen. And that's why I'm asking all of your listeners, Mr. Rye, to uh, go to those two websites and make a contribution. All right. Well, look, I want to make sure I get my co-host in. Hayward Evans, do you have a question or comment for Congressman yeah, Hank first, Johnson? Yeah, first, Congressman Johnson, I want to thank you for being here with us today, but and, and a happy holiday to you. Now, my concern is this. Number 45, with the Open Skies Treaty and him uh, uh, just uh, discarding those observation planes, that's, that, that's a national security question. And you're on the House Judiciary Committee. I think I think that would even outrage Republicans. Have you got any feedback? Is he going to have the ability to discard those those the open sky planes? You know, there there have not been many Republicans who've had the courage to stand up to Donald Trump and to say that what you're doing is wrong. Uh, most of them choose to remain silent, even though they see wrongdoing and they hear wrongdoing and they know that something wrong is happening, but they refuse to admit it even to themselves. So it's almost like the Trump Republican Party is the Jim Jones Republican Party. Trump is like Jim Jones, and his people will jump off of bridges and swallow uh, poison uh, if Donald Trump tells them to do so. It's unfortunate. But that's the kind of power that he has on people, and not just regular working people. I'm talking about on United States senators and United States uh, members of the House of Representatives from the Republican Party. So, Congressman Johnson, I want to see if uh, uh, Dr. Leslie Baskerville has joined us. Eric, we get Dr. Baskerville. She's on. Yes, I'm here. Okay, well, uh, Congressman Hank Johnson on the line. Uh, Congressman Johnson, can you hear Dr. Baskerville? Yeah, I do. Well, you know, she's uh, doing, Dr. The, Baskerville? the president and CEO of NAFIO. You know that, right? She's the CEO of what? The National Association for Equal Opportunity in Higher Education. Go ahead, Dr. Leslie, and, oh, okay. and let, him, let right. him know what you do. Um, okay, we've actually met, and he's been a tremendous help to us. I'm president and CEO of the National Association for Equal Opportunity in Higher Ed, which is the membership 
and Advocacy Association for all 106 historically black colleges and universities, and now for the 80 predominantly black institutions. You've been a tremendous help there, and you've been a tremendous help in the issues that we deal with regularly with regard to uh, discriminatory lending practices and so many other things. And I'm just grateful for your service, and our community is stronger because of the, the things that you've introduced that have proven helpful to us. Well, Congressman Hank, I just want to say that uh, she would make a far better Secretary of Education than one recommendation coming out of the city of Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I appreciate so much Dr. Baskerville's um, advocacy and uh, the work that she does is so important uh, because, of course, higher education is uh, one of the pedestals upon which people, uh, our young people, are able to advance into the upper ranks and upper echelons of business, government, and education, and that's how we advance. And so I, I really appreciate the work that she does, and I support that work also. Absolutely, and it's greatly appreciated. Well, Congressman Johnson, I, I really really appreciate your time. You're welcome to stay on if you'd like, but I know you might have some duties to take care of, but I really do okay. appreciate you spending as much time with us as you had. And like I said, you're welcome to stay to hear Dr. Baskerville's accomplishments, because that's what we're going to be talking about, and making sure that the Biden administration takes a real close look at Dr. Leslie Baskerville. She might have to be the inspector general and the, the, the enforcer for the Department of Education to make sure these uh, higher ends are doing a better job in getting our students in outside of this HBCUs. Well, you know, I, well, I appreciate I, that. But if you if you have just one minute, Congressman, I just I wanted to I recognize that that what we're doing is the Thanksgiving radio show. And so I was thinking about it and. As I was thinking about that, I thought about the tremendous impact that natives had on the vote this year, the 2020 elections. I think it was about 80-plus mm -hmm. percent of Native Americans who voted for a change in leadership, voted for uh, democracy, voted for equity and inclusion, pluralism, and voted um, to continue to try to realize the egalitarian ideal despite the fact that they've not yet been apologized to by America and made whole for the stealing of their land and their treatment. And it's especially important during this season of thanks and giving um, when we have come to celebrate Thanksgiving as a great time when the pilgrims landed on Plymouth Rock and a great time when the pilgrims brought natives to the table for corn and turkey and other things. Um, and we don't tell the story about our natives. And so I think there's a group and an increasing number of people that are appealing for, um, they celebrate Thanksgiving as a national day of mourning. And they, they want to try and move a movement to get not just the natives, but a broader segment of the community to start thinking about and including in textbooks and including at the tables and perhaps other celebrations. Don't celebrate the fact or the fallacy that the pilgrims came and they had a happy, wonderful evening with <laughs> the natives. But let's 
have a day of, of, of reckoning. We're, we're in the midst of racial reckoning. And so we should have racial and cultural reckoning and focus on, at least for this Thanksgiving, if not others, focus on our Native brothers and sisters and the critical roles that they're playing, their fortitude, their strength, their spirit, as they continue to fight to make nominal gains in America. And so um, obviously not without any more discussion, but I'm hoping that we can have a discussion with you and other members of the CBC um, to talk about perhaps legislation that would somehow connect with Thanksgiving and with the realities of our Native brothers and sisters and Thanksgiving um, and a day that would not only recognize them on that day, but begin to make whole the brothers and sisters whose land and culture and so many things um, we've taken and make sure that they're elevated and celebrated for the centrality of their culture and their being and their spirit to uh, the pluralism in America. Well, well she you know, you, delivered a message, words, Congressman Johnson. Coming, yeah, your words coming uh, on the cusp of Thanksgiving are, are so meaningful. When we think about Thanksgiving, I mean, the very title of the holiday, Thanksgiving, and the, and the fact that we are taught that the uh, pilgrims uh, sat down with the uh, Indians and they all sat around the table and... Uh, and had a good time together and lived peacefully, lived, lived peacefully ever after, everything was fine, you know, that's a myth that we know is not true. And even though we celebrate uh, that higher aspiration of being thankful and appreciative, we got a long way to go to actually live those ideals. And one of the ways we do it is by facing the truth of um, – of the history in this country. And uh, yes. that's something that uh, folks really find it very difficult to do uh, because you've been privileged uh, and uh, you've never had to see the ugly side of things. And uh, But those who were on the ugly side know the ugliness of, uh, of the history. They know the, the story. They know the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah. their voices just have not been heard. And so... It is time for, for us to stand up together and proclaim the truth uh, about America's history and, and realize uh, what has happened. I mean, we're a great country. We know Absolutely. that. But there's yes. some parts of our country and the parts of our history that we have yet to come to grips with. And until we come to grips with our past, uh, we'll never... Uh, be able to move forward from the present and create a new future for ourselves. And so I agree with, uh, with your comments. Thank you so very much. Dr. Basterville is always very effective in which all that she does. Now, Dr. Yeah. Basterville also led the charge to get 10, a commitment for $10 billion for HBCUs. Was that two years ago, Dr. Basterville? Um, yes, it was two years ago. But, yeah, we, we fight for billions every year, and uh, not as a handout, but because HBCUs, because of the centrality of HBCUs to America realizing any of her goals. So when we talk about Black Lives Matter and we, we look at racial reckoning, we cannot 
achieve any of the closing of the gaps of education, of, of employment, of, of economics, of wealth, of health, of sustainability, of justice. We can't realize any of the closing of the gaps without HBCUs because of their tremendous in, input and outcomes. So with 3% of American colleges and universities, we're graduating 42% of all African ancestry people with advanced degrees in the sciences, technology, engineering, and mathematics. 50% of all African ancestry public school teachers we're graduating about 60% of all African ancestors of health professions, professionals when we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so we can't realize our goals without them. So we fight for, and the, because of Congressman um, Johnson and because of um, the Congressional Black Caucus that is always our anchor and our primary voice, but because of bipartisanship on a number of issues, we've been able to continue to get dollars, certainly not commensurate with the input or the outcomes that HBCUs are having with regard to the growing populations of the nation. So it's not that we're talking about a sideline, small segment of people, but we're talking about diverse people, primarily African ancestors, but other persons of color and white people. And so, in fact, HBCUs, people think they are just for and by of black people. HBCUs are about 70 percent African ancestors and about 30% other. So if we were, if we were Michigan, University of Michigan, or if we were Virginia State, or if we were some other grouping of universities, they would say we are a richly diverse university, a, co a cohort of universities. But um, the good news is that thanks to Congressman Johnson's leadership, uh, Congresswoman Alma Adams' leadership as the chair of the uh, bipartisan, the congressional HBCU bipartisan caucus, and Congressman Scott, Bobby Scott, as the chair of the education committee, and so many others, um, people are beginning to understand HBCUs and refer to them for their centrality to America realizing her egalitarian ideal and realizing important goals, and not just because they have historically been denied resources and to this day are denied resources. So it's important that we're now celebrated for what only this cohort of colleges can do in America. Dr. Basterville, could you please let our listeners have a website so they can explore more about NAPIO, please? Sure, yes, sir. It's um, www.napionation.org. Okay. Well, I want to thank and, uh, both Congressman uh, Johnson. Eddie, Eddie Rod, thank before, you. I, before I sign off, I just want to say that I'm the proud graduate of, uh, of Clark College, now known as Clark Atlanta University, uh, HBCU, and also the Thurgood Marshall School of Law at Texas Southern University, Texas Southern. another HBCU. So I would Absolutely. not be where I am and who I am without HBCUs, and I want to thank you for your advocacy and your your strong work uh, on behalf of of our dear HBCUs in this country. And she would fit real well in the Biden administration in the education office. I heard you loud and clear. I heard you loud and clear. <laughs> okay. Well, you guys enjoy your Thanksgiving day, and uh, Dr. Basterville, thank you for making it real plain and clear what we need to do 
about Thanksgiving Day and the true meaning. So I really do appreciate your oratory today. So thank both of you and enjoy the, the holiday. Thank Congress you. You Johnson, do the same and thank got, you all for I've, that you do, Eddie Rye. And yes, uh, uh, yes ma'am, Dr. Students. Baskerville. I've got HBCU students that we can put to work in Georgia. It's nonpartisanship, but we just need everybody to get out. And um, if you know any 501c3 that is looking for some HBCU students that have been trained, that have worked in races around the country to deliver the vote, help educate, mobilize, and take to the poll, um, they can reach me uh, at lbaskerville at nafio.org. Um, we've got them on the ground there, and we need to have them all positioned and helping in any way that they can help deliver the vote for the runoff. And how do you spell Nabio? N-A-F as in fortitude, E-O dot, that's it, N-A-F-E-O. Okay, dot org. Dot org, yes. Okay, all right. Appreciate that. L. Baskerville. Got it. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you both of you very much and enjoy the rest of the day. And uh, thank you for your time today and for your valuable information. So we're going to take a quick break, uh, Eric, and come back with our next guest after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at Port Seattle Org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Bringing good vibes to the Puget Sound and the world. Alternative Talk 1150. Okay, uh, Eddie Ryan, Hayward Evans, back to Urban Forum Northwest. Do we have uh, Representative Deborah Intiman on the line? Yes, sir. Hi there, uh, Representative Intiman. Uh, Hayward Evans and Eddie Ryan, a co-host for Urban Forum Northwest. Sorry we're just a little late, uh, uh, but we had some very valuable information coming from uh, Dr. Leslie Baskerville and Congressman Hank Johnson, who I, I was hoping that I could get him to stay on so he could meet you 
is uh, the, one of the, our new leaders out in Olympia. So uh, you've been on before, but I'd like to have you just take a couple of minutes and just share with our listening audience a little bit about your background and then also about the position that you're currently occupying now, uh, not only as a state representative, but also a leader of the caucus. Okay. Well, I am uh, born and raised in Seattle. I now live on the East Hill of Kent, representing the 47th Legislative District. I, uh, and that is the East Hill of Kent, the cities of Covington, cities of Auburn, and parts of unincorporated King County. I was elected to the legislature in 2018. I am beginning, I will begin my second term in January. Uh, previous to being in the legislature, I was on staff with Congressman Adam Smith uh, the last three years being his district director. I come to the legislature uh, with ideas about fairness and equity. I am very excited this year that we have a number of new members in the legislature, and so that will make 10 African-American elected officials in Washington state the most of any one time. One of those members is actually in the Senate and nine are in the House. I am the chair of the Black Member Caucus in the House, but we, of course, have invited our one member of the Senate to caucus with us if that is what she chooses to do. We are looking forward to many uh, legislative successes uh, over our time um, in the legislature, reminding people that we can't undo all of the institutionalized racism in the first session, but we have short-term and long-term goals for success that we believe will positively impact the lives of African-American people statewide. Well, you had a very successful uh, uh, freshman session. Uh, can you share with our listeners uh, some of the legislation that you were able to get through and what you supported during your first term? In my first term, I, um, I, I think I had a, a bit of beginner's luck. I was able to pass a number of pieces of legislation, including legislation that would no longer allow the Department of Youth and Family Services to fully sanction the excuse me, fully sanction a family and remove them from TANF, which means you can end the benefit for an adult, but you can never end the benefit for a child who is the responsibility of Washington State. We have also had legislation that would prosecute a person who has been accused of sex trafficking, not allowing them to intimidate the victim of that trafficking. I have worked on bills to improve food security for college students. Um, I was successful in a facial recognition bill. Um, didn't get everything that I wanted, but it was one of the first pieces of facial recognition legislation in the nation. I uh, championed bills that um, would not allow schools to withhold transcripts from students. That bill will be reintroduced. I'm not sure if I'm going to reintroduce it or if someone else will. But, you know, there have been a number of things that I have thought about that I have been asked to champion and that I wanted to move forward in our state legislature so that we could have 
more equity and more diverse voices. And so I am glad that I now have new colleagues who can also move their ideas in the legislature. Okay, I want to see if my co-host Haywood Evans has a comment or a question for you, Deborah Entman. Uh, Representative Entman. Well, Representative, thank you for being here with us today and, and happy holiday to you for tomorrow. Thank uh, you. Now, you're vice chair. Are you going to be vice chair, still vice chair of the uh, College and Workforce Development next session? That is, that is my desire. Oh, okay, Give, given that, what are your priorities in that vein right now? Well, when I look at um, college and workforce development, I have been a champion for our community and technical colleges. I'm on the board of Renton Technical College. I know that the students who come through our community and technical colleges, when they transfer to four-year universities, have more success than students who have gone through our four-year universities starting in their freshman year. I know that they graduate I know that they um, have higher GPAs. I know that they are, I think what happens is because sometimes they are older, they are more focused on um, completing their BA or other degree. Um, I also know that I don't want to undo a lot of the work that we have done for funding our community and technical colleges, so I will work towards maintaining the successes that we have had in the past, and I will work very hard to prevent any cuts to higher ed. You know, I'm glad to hear, I'm glad to hear you say that because I was concerned with, uh, because of the pandemic and how that impacted the, uh, the state's revenue to make sure that we still, uh, that we still provide total assistance towards education because that's the future. But have you heard anything about the governor maybe being appointed uh, by the Biden? You know, there are a number of rumors that I don't want to repeat. I have not heard anything officially about um, our Governor Inslee doing anything except for being governor of Washington State. I don't have any inside information about Biden appointment. I wish I did, but I don't. Uh, well, I was thinking he should appoint you maybe in education, but <laughs> we, we, we need a new secretary up there. Do you have any, well, uh, any preference for secretary? Have you thought about it, secretary uh, uh, of education on the cabinet? You know, I haven't thought about secretary of education in the cabinet. I know that Ms. DeVos needs to go. I also know that Jill Biden, uh, the wife of the now president-elect, is a, is a community college teacher. Um, and so I know that higher ed is something that she understands that she understands. And so I think that we will see colleges um, have more support than they ever have before. I'd like to see us no longer be able to use federal funds for our private universities that aren't doing, excuse me, for our private for-profit universities that we have learned aren't doing anything as far as really providing true educational opportunities for our students. But no, I don't have anyone in mind for that federal position. Representative Intimate, I'd just like, if you could, if you could uh, uh, state who uh, uh, the uh, Black uh, state representatives are. We know that uh, Senator-elect Twina Nobles is in the Senate out of the Tacoma area. And I think that's the same district that Senator Rosa Franklin had represented. And it's been, been uh, no Blacks in the Senate for like 10 years. But uh, 
other other than yourself, who are the other eight members in the House? Because I think, well, four of them just real uh, just elected. So who we have is we have Representative April Berg. She will be sharing uh, the seat mate with Representative John Lubbock in the 44th District. We have Representatives mm-hmm. Jamila Taylor and Representative Jesse Johnson in the 30th District. We have Representative David Hackney, who is taking over uh, from Zach Hudgens in the 11th Legislative District. We have Representative Melanie Morgan in the 29th Legislative District. We have, as she's reelected, we have Representative Kirsten Harris Talley, who will be in the 37th Legislative District. And we have myself. Who is in the 47th legislative district? All right, that's that's quite a that's a, that's a caucus right there. Well, I tell you what. Uh, so, it, and in a couple of minutes, let us know what will your priorities be this session. Well, one of my priorities as the chair of the Black Member Caucus will be to support the new members in the legislature. We are going to have remote sessions, so they may not have the same type of first-year experience that I had as a legislator, that does not mean that they should not have the same opportunities that I had as a first-year legislator. So one of my priorities is supporting my colleagues that are new to the legislative body. Um, As far as what I hope to accomplish legislatively is that I hope to champion two bills in the legislature, one that has to do with the independent investigations when police use deadly force and one that will champion independent prosecution when police use deadly force. The prosecutorial bill is already, it hasn't even dropped yet, and there is um, currently some vocal opposition, but I look forward to having a hearing and to have the voices not only heard of the law enforcement, but also of families who have lost their loved ones at the hands of law enforcement officers. Hey, would you have a comment or question before we close out? You know, kudos on that one. Look, I'm going to be calling in when it's public testimony because I totally support both those bills, 100%. I mean, I love the direction that you're going. Can you share with the listenership, how do people get appointed to committees? The new legislators coming in, do you know, I mean, what's the process for them to get appointed to committees? Well, there is, the process for being appointed to committee is we have committees on committees. We people talk about what their priorities are, and then it is decided by the committees on committees. That is not new. It's just not public. That's how it happens. Uh, and I guess how are we looking in terms of a uh, taxation? Is there any possibility that we can have a state income tax? Legally, in our state, we cannot have a state income tax. It is a part of our state constitution that would have to be amended to allow a state income tax. But I know that there is a lot of support for what we are calling a capital gains tax for high earners in our state so that we can have more revenue to pay for the things that we need, including a COVID response that is equitable because right now we have a disproportionate number of African-American, Hispanic people, and Asian people dying from COVID. And so we want to make sure that any response that we have is fair and equitable, that we get effective testing, and that we get effective care so that we survive the COVID pandemic. 
Well, Representative Intiman, I want to thank you very much for your time today. And I hope uh, the Black Caucus get behind Senator Hasegawa's uh, legislation to create a state bank that's been uh, kicked around for about five years, keep our money in state. So you have a good day today on this uh, thankful day. And uh, we will talk with you soon. We will want to stay in touch with you as the session goes. So we'll be calling back on you. Uh, Representative Deborah Intiman, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for inviting me. I hope everyone listening has a wonderful Thanksgiving. Please stay safe and wear a mask. All right now. Thank you. Okay, so we'll take a break and come back with our next guest after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. You found us. Maybe you've been guided to listen. Alternative Talk 1150. Hey, Eric. I come up with the appropriate song all the time. Before we go to Kabibi, I want to let folks know. We want Haywood and I want to wish uh, me and Rice, uh, Port of Seattle Diversity Contracting Office, a happy Thanksgiving, along with Port Commissioner Sam Show. He was on last week. Uh, Leslie Jones at Sound Transit Office of Labor Relations. Uh, Liz Alzir at the City of Seattle's Purchase and Construction Services. And also the guys, hopefully the business is picking up according to TV with Concourse Concessions with Dave Fukuhara, SeaTac Bar Group LLC, Rod O'Neill and Jerry Whitsitt. Happy Thanksgiving to you for, and thank you for your support. Our next guest is uh, the founder of New Black Arts West, Khabib Monet. And uh, a big event has, has happened. Today is Thanksgiving and, and something happened on Wednesday at 3.30 and we want Khabib to share what was a special occasion, ma'am? Hello, Eddie. Thank you for having me on. Yes, I'm here on location, so um, we're going to be dealing with the traffic some. The occasion is the dedication to Douglas Q. Barnett, the founder and executive director of the original Black Arts West Theater, 
the naming of the street has been changed. 34th and 35th in Union is now Douglas Q. Barnett Street. So New Black Arts West Theater is just excited about the fact that we can present um, a, what is it called, a resolution and a dedication to the Barnett family and in honor of Douglas Q. Barnett. We're just excited. Yeah, and you know, uh, we were, uh, Black Arts West was under Camp. Uh, Camp was a fiscal agent. So I yes, was I uh, with uh, Douglas Q at quite a few of our uh, staff meetings, both uh -huh. while uh, Harold Whitehead, uh, Chuck Hodges, uh, Rosin Woodhouse, all of my former bosses, all former directors of Camp. And, uh -huh. uh, uh, and then uh, it was really something too, because uh, to be able to have that theater on, 30, on Union between 34th and 35th was really monumental. And the thing about it back in those days, people could walk up to the theater from where they lived, That's okay, because right. <laughs> yeah. we we lived in that community. But I'm really uh, appreciative of the fact that you guys were able to be able to have that piece of Black history restored, because people need yeah. to know uh, what was going on. So that's a monumental task. I really uh, really appreciate your work. Uh, oh, thank you. Want to see if Hayward Evans has a question or comment? Hey, Khabib, first I'm I'm glad that you're here today and looking yeah. forward to working with you. We still haven't forgot. So Eddie and I, are still going to be doing the art contest, Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee. So we're going to be yes. getting with you very, very soon. Okay. And I want to say, okay. too, I was at Black Arts West. When I was at the U, I was in a play. I mean, so many people out here have been impacted by it. I even remember my line, himself, him shoot himself. I don't got one I, line, I but. I bet you do. I bet you do. And that's, that was what was so great about. And the reason why I felt it was so important for the name change was because we, I, Black Arts West changed our mental state. It gave us a reason to and to be proud. We learned our history through Black Arts West. We saw productions of, of neighbor, neighbors. Didn't even know they could sing or dance or act or, or be costumers. I mean, it was the whole experience that was so exhilarating. And I had to pay homage to this. Had to pay homage to the past that was so rich in our culture. You know, I'm glad you said, because this is our history. And that's something that we just cannot let just uh, go, get lost in time as time exactly. passes. So I, I'm so proud of what you're doing. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Now, what, what time is that event again today? It's on 34th and Union at 3.30 this afternoon. And yeah, th th this program won't air until tomorrow. Okay. It will well, air on okay. Thanksgiving Day. Okay. So what is happening today is Wednesday. The program will air tomorrow. I see. Sorry. That's no problem. I'll, okay. I'll say past tense. You missed it if you didn't get a chance to see the inauguration or the dedication that we made to Black Arts West Theater. I'm so sorry you missed it. Um, yeah, I'm excited. We can drive by, right? <laughs> say that again. <laughs> Would you say? I said, with the signs will be able people can drive by and, 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 oh, absolutely. and see it. Oh, absolutely. Okay. The, the, you know, the family is going to be here and, and HCAACD um, are also sponsoring this event, not just Black Arts West Theater, but HCAACD, um, the heritage, you know, uh, found we're, we're putting together a lot of the heritage here by place making uh, places where we were, who we were, the murals that you see on up and down 23rd. 
um, from 23rd and Union to 23rd and Jackson. We we are the organization HCAACD is the organization that made that happen, and we be do, we'll be doing more history, place making, um, dedications, and you'll be able to see us everywhere in our history. Well, Kabibi, how can people get access to what New Black Hearts West is doing right now? Is there a website or contact yeah. information? There's a website, but what I would like you to do is go to HCAACD as well as New Black Arts West Theater um, Facebook and keep keep in touch with us through those means right now because our um, web page is being redesigned, and that would be the best way to keep in contact with us and find out what we're doing and when we're doing it. And Kabibi, when are you going to be singing again? I don't know. You know, you know, I have multiple sclerosis now, so my singing voice is gone. Praise God, I still have a brain, so I've been doing a lot of writing lately. Uh, and we're still, you know, doing productions. We will be doing productions, should I say, as soon as this pandemic lifts up off of us. And our, you know, summer youth education programs will continue and on and on. But no, baby, my voice is gone. <sighs> Well, actually, the pandemic closed down Broadway for all live performances uh, from coast to coast, really. I know, I know. Yeah, but I, I, I kind of needed this break a little bit. I, I'm a member of the um, in King County NAACP, you know what I'm saying, uh, NAACP, <laughs> and uh, I have a position there, so I'm kind of swamped a little bit. So it's kind of cool that we have this break just a bit, because I could have put it on film or streamed it things that we, you know, wanted to do, but I'm kind of grateful for the break. Well, I'm glad that you're staying busy in spite of everything else. And uh, we'll definitely like to have you back on to talk about any events that New Black Arts West is sponsoring. And I guess yes. there won't be a lot going on until after this pandemic is gone. So, uh, yes. but meanwhile, I appreciate your work and the work of the committee to honor Douglas Hugh Barnett, who had mm -hmm. an opportunity to know personally, used to sit in staff meetings with him at the Camp Firehouse. So uh, yes, maybe yes. you have a good holiday and thank you for your work. And yes. uh, we were going to sign off now and we'll be back again next Thursday.